This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, you're with Lee Tree Lin, and tonight, in line with International Women's Day last week and the International Day of Women and Girls in Science last month, we're celebrating something that Malaysia has done pretty well, uh, which is the participation of women in STEM. So, first, we're going to discuss a program that highlights the importance of mentorship in this area. And then, after that, we talk about what the situation is like in Malaysian schools at the moment and whether girls and women are being actively encouraged to take up STEM. So, we want to know um, do you work in STEM and what encouraged you in the end to take this path? You can call 7733 tweet us at BFM Radio, and send us a voice note or WhatsApp our U mobile number 018 789 This is Inside Story. It is 6.08 and you're listening to Inside Stories. So to start us off, um, you know, it's it's been an interesting period in which particularly when we talk about women and how well we're doing in terms of progressiveness or lack thereof, it can be easy to feel a little bit disheartened. Um, you know, on Popit Popit Parliament, we were also talking about brain drain versus brain circulation and the like. So I'm kind of happy to be able to bring some somewhat good news um, on the STEM front because Malaysia's actually shown quite a progressive front when it comes to including women in the sciences. So in a 2021 report by the World Bank, it showed that 55% of Malaysian professionals are female. Uh, in engineering, 45% are women. Science, maths, computing, 61% are women. And engineering and tech, 49.8% of those researchers are are women. There have also been specific uh, studies that have looked into why this is. Uh, for instance, Norwegian University of Science and Technology professor Vivian Annette Lagerson argues in an academic article that women in our country are more inclined to participate, particularly when it comes to computing and tech for multiple factors. Uh, for, for instance, here, the office is seen as a women-friendly setting where women are indoors and protected. Uh, girls are encouraged to study in tech by their parents. Um, and this started as in the 1990s, parents were encouraged by the government at the time to take advantage of the new tech-oriented job opportunities available. I think that would be a reference to the multimedia super corridor and, and things of that like. Now, if we look at what this, how this compares to globally. According to a World Bank report, uh, also from 2020, globally, women outnumber men at undergraduate and master's degree level, uh, 54 and 56% of graduates respectively. But then after that, only 7% of women choose to study engineering, manufacturing or construction. And that's compared with 22%. When it comes to ICT, the enrollment rates are 3% only among women versus 8% among men. Uh, although enrollment rates in the national Natural sciences, maths and statistics are much closer. It's five for five percent for women, six percent for men. And globally women are also less likely than men to enter and more likely to leave the STEM workforce. Uh, women are particularly underrepresented in jobs on the technical front. So in the 20 leading economies, women workers account for 26% of workers in data and artificial intelligence, 15% uh, of workers in engineers. And, you know, this is these are a lot of numbers. But the point is that if you look at how things are globally, there is a, a pretty significant difference in terms of how things are in Malaysia. And so it's interesting to see what are the initiatives that we've actually put into place that have worked, what more do we need to do? Um, and also in general, I think what I'm most interested in hearing from today is, do you work in STEM um, and what encouraged you to, to take this path, whether it was just natural interest, whether it was your teachers? But then conversely, I also want to know whether you thought of working in STEM and chose not to and why. So either way, whether you do or don't, I want to hear the reasons for it. If you'd like to share, you can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at 
BFM Radio. After this, we're going to be joined by Christina Kamarudin, Project Lead for STEM Connector at the Asia Foundation Malaysia. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Bagi free minum, BFM 89.9. The Business Station. It's 6.13 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. We're talking today about um, the participation of women in STEM in Malaysia, uh, particularly because of International Women's Day last week and also previously the International Day of Women and Girls in Science. And also because it's, you know, we're doing reasonably well on this front. So we're asking, do you work in STEM in general and what encouraged you to take this path? Or conversely, were you maybe interested in or thinking about about working in STEM, but you didn't end up doing it, and why? Uh, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet at BFM Radio. Joining us now uh, is Kistina Kamarudin, Project Lead for STEM Connector at the Asia Foundation Malaysia. STEM Connector is an initiative to connect and support early in career women in STEM. Uh, Kistina, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. So if we look at things um, from a global perspective, the low numbers of women in STEM have often been a concern, especially when we talk about this field of work and study. What can you tell us, though, about what participation is like in Malaysia? Yeah, I think um, earlier you had shared some really interesting uh, data sets that have come out of Malaysia where we see that there is a really big number of women that are choosing to learn or undertake uh, STEM-related courses. Um, and sometimes in some of those particular fields, there are actually more women than men uh, in, in those uh, courses. Um, but I think, you know, what is also important to look at is, you know, whether or not those women actually choose to participate uh, in employment uh, in STEM. Um, you know, I think we look at the the statistics that you shared. Um, and if, especially if we look at more recent data, especially after the pandemic um, and how women are, are affected uh, in the workforce, um, it's also important to look at the the, the quote-unquote leaky pipeline, uh, which is a term that is used to, um, to see how women sort of drop out of the STEM-related industries. And it refers to the systemic the formal and informal pressures that that push women out of the industry at various points in in education as well as careers, um, and yeah, I think I, I thought I just wanted to also share some interesting uh, data set that uh, you know out of out of all of the countries in Southeast Asia, um, Philippines is actually one of the countries that's really doing well in in closing that gender gap um, between women and men. So. We're talking about how things are at the moment, but how would you say women's participation in the field have cha- has changed or evolved over the years? Yeah, so, you know, I definitely see, I guess we can definitely see an upward uh, trend and this could also be spurred about by the pandemic, you know, with the rise of uh, remote and flexible working, uh, STEM course enrollments among women learners in Malaysia has increased uh, because some of you know the women are finding that some of these jobs are not location bound, and because of that, women reskill for better job opportunities, particularly in the tech-driven uh, knowledge economy. So there's definitely an upward trend, but I think what's important to look at is also you know um, the persistence of women in these fields. Um, if if women were to enter the STEM industry, uh, you know they're kind of stuck between that early and mid-career, it's harder to get them to persist and uh, stay in the industry to rise up the ranks to get into the more senior levels. And on that front, uh, tell us about the STEM Connector program. What was it that spurred the, the creation of the project? Yes, yeah, so the Asia Foundation, uh, in partnership with Zendesk, produced a report on accelerating women's advancement in STEM taking a look at particularly how networks uh, play a role in helping women to persist in the STEM industry in the workforce. Um, as we know, you know, networks play a very pivotal role in helping girls and women enter and succeed in STEM fields. And they do this by facilitating peer support, role models, mentorship and sponsorship, opportunities for technical and soft skills development, knowledge exchange, collaboration, 
visibility, to name a few. Um, so in this study, we had approached 70 women in STEM organizations to examine the said leaky pipeline. Um, and through the findings that we made from this research that was done to produce this report, um, we had decided to pilot this STEM connector program, which brings together a pan-regional network of networks to connect and support early in career women in STEM by providing access to mentorship and professional development opportunities. So in this pilot stage of the program, we are welcoming participants and member organizations from five countries across the Asia Pacific, namely Cambodia, Japan, Malaysia, Singapore, and the Philippines. Um, and so we also hope to expand the list of countries in the near future. Why did you start with this five? <laughs> Great question. Um, so we wanted to get a diverse list of countries to be involved in the program. Um, we know that STEM fields are vital in building future-ready, inclusive economies. And as I shared earlier, you know, the statistic on the Philippines being the only Asian country that ranks top 10 um, globally for closing the STEM gender gap. And then, you know, adversely, Japan also has the lowest share of women studying science. So we thought by bringing together these diverse countries in Asia Pacific, um, there would be unique perspectives that can be shared. Um, and of course, this adds to the richness of the program. Uh, you know, what has worked in one country, what hasn't worked in another. Um, so that's kind of how we came up with the five countries to be part of this pilot stage of the program. And talk to us about the focus on mentorship and why that's something that's important in the field. Yeah, so addressing the pressures that women face, uh, especially in the early career, is pivotal to ensure that, you know, they advance to mid or senior levels in this industry. And, you know, the key influencers of this are our mentors, as well as the support networks that help foster a sense of belonging. Um, and also mentorship is used as a primary tool to sort of stem the issues uh, related to the leaky pipeline. Um, so you know, mentorship is definitely important. Um, and with this, I also wanted to mention that uh, as part of the STEM Connector program, we are also organizing our mentorship week uh, that is coming up at the end of this month, where we are inviting mentors to speak on a variety of topics with uh, an opportunity for group mentoring sessions as well. So we definitely encourage those who are interested to participate to register for this. Um, we are bringing in a really good list of mentors from uh, our supporting partners who are, you know, leading uh, companies in, in the STEM fields. And are all the mentors women? Um, so, you know, we realize that there is definitely an importance of male allies, um, and this is important to also have men advocating for more women leadership in the workplace. So we uh, also have uh, men who are, part of our mentors. And on that note, um, you know, I, I think that gender-focused initi initiatives are generally most effective when they're amplified, not just by women, but by men, as you just mentioned. Um, is equity in STEM a goal that is widely shared and acknowledged within the industry? Yeah, you know, in the organizations that we have worked with on this program, um, you know, particularly some of the employee resource groups, for example, there has been support from both women and men in advancing equity in this space. So I think that's what I can speak to speak to in relation to this question. And the end goal of the program is to, of course, work towards uh, narrowing that gender gap. Tell us about the impact that more women, having more women in the field would ultimately also have on the STEM workforce and economic growth as a whole. Definitely. So um, an interesting statistic that I saw recently is that, you know, as many of 80% of jobs in Southeast Asia will require workers with basic digital literacy skills, as well as applied ICT skills. And so to meet this need, it is essential to harness these skills, abilities and perspectives of the full working population and not just the male half because no country can afford to waste the talent of half of its population. Um, so the inclusion of diverse perspectives is also proven to boost creativity, mitigate implicit biases. A diverse workforce not only meets the demand for skilled workers, but also results in better STEM innovation and development. So 
yeah, I think that those are some of the, you know, advantages of uh, narrowing the gender gap in STEM. Mm. And Another part of this conversation, I think, is the fact that gender bias and stereotypes have traditionally driven women and girls away from pursuing careers in technical fields. How do we overcome these obstacles? Yeah, so I also wanted to pick this um, interesting study where uh, among Filipino girls that demonstrated that a loss of interest in STEM subjects began as nearly as like as early as the age of 10 years old, where you know, they perceive STEM careers as male-dominated and become convinced that girls are naturally less intelligent in STEM subjects. And we all know that that's, that's not true. Um, and some of the barriers that women and girls in, in Asia experience to participating in STEM fields and STEM networks include gender bias, as you mentioned, um, which could stem from perhaps, you know, a lack of female role models in STEM, cultural norms, gatekeepers that limit access to STEM education, careers, and networks, as well as even, you know, workplace policies, including inadequate family leave policies and inflexible uh, work schedules. So, you know, in order to overcome these obstacles, there are kind of multiple ways that we can go about in addressing these. You know, firstly, I think creating a safe space for women in STEM to discuss their needs um, building their confidence in their abilities and vision for their career trajectories, making STEM more affordable, approachable, and accessible to women, as well as, of course, facilitating mentorship and, and network building. So, you know, a lot of these um, support inclusive leadership and institutional change, which can expand access to, to STEM fields. And what would you like to see on a policy level to aid this whole initiative in the long term? You know, I think um, you started off, you know, by sharing some really interesting statistics about how, uh, you know, women are actually, uh, you know, outnumber men in in, in taking these STEM courses in universities, etc. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely want to commend some of the policies that we have put in place for this to happen. Um, but I think it would be really good to start looking at, you know, some of the barriers that women face in the workforce, um, something that can help them to persist um, in to climb up the ranks uh, into more leadership fields. And I think that's that's somewhere that um, we can fill uh, the gap in policy. And OK, lastly, how can those interested join the STEM Connector program? Yes, and uh, you know, I mentioned that this is open to early in career women in STEM. Uh, we're focusing on uh, that aspect uh, in the pilot program, but of course, we're also going to be opening it up, uh, you know, in later stages of the program. And for those who are interested in being part of the STEM Connector, you're welcome to sign up uh, on our website. Uh, it's www.tex.inc forward slash taf forward slash STEM dash connector or you can also follow our linkedin page uh the asia foundation and uh the future of work to stay updated on our uh, mentorship week that i mentioned earlier uh, as well as other activities that we will be organizing as part of the program christina thanks so much for speaking with us today thanks so much lynn that was Christina Kamarudin, Project Lead for STEM Connector at the Asia Foundation Malaysia. If you want more details, uh, you can look that up online. And uh, this is part of a larger conversation we're having about the participation of women and girls in STEM. But in terms of what I'm curious about, um, you know, to hear from you, I, I'd like to know, do you work in STEM, uh, broadly speaking? And what encouraged you to take this path? I'm always interested in this as someone who doesn't work in STEM myself. And conversely, was there a point uh, that you were thinking about taking STEM, but you chose not to? And what drove you away from it? Also curious about that. You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Beautiful, festive moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.38 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. Our show today is a spot of good news because... Uh, 
It was International Women's Day last week, and prior to that, it was also the International Day of Women and Girls in Science. So we thought we'd take the opportunity and mark the occasion. And then it turned out that um, in doing research for the show, that Malaysia is actually doing pretty well in this in terms of parity or equity when it comes to the participation of girls and women in STEM. So we wanted to take a look at what that means and how what we're doing right, what we're doing right, how we can replicate that. And more broadly, I think I'm interested in what drives people towards STEM to begin with or what drives people away from it. Because we hear lots of things about this, right? We hear about how important school programs and teachers are. Uh, We also hear people sometimes say that it's a matter of natural interest. And I'm interested in how much that is true. So the, the question today is kind of on both sides. On the one hand, do you work in STEM? And if you do, what encouraged you to take this path? Was it just a passion? Was it school? What was it? On the flip side of that, if you have, if you never intended to work in STEM, um, or if you were thinking about it but lost interest, what was that about? Again, was it just natural interest, passion, what have you? Either way, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. So um, on WhatsApp, we have. Kevin, who says, my passion was always music. I got into an audio production course after high school. And after working in the industry for several years, I sought something more stable. So I went back to uni and I did electrical and electronic engineering, which kind of fascinated me. From a musical background, I found a lot of technical similarities and enjoyed the challenge that complemented my talent. Since then, I'm now working as an engineer and I apply what I've learned from both backgrounds. Science is everything in life, so I think it's for everyone. Kevin, I love your message, partly because it it draws equally on a love of both music and therefore art, as well as sciences, and talks about how they can be combined. I, I think that sometimes we create a maybe a false dichotomy between the two, and we say that, you know, they're entirely separate from one another. But this shows you how it doesn't have to be the case. But yeah, I, I, I think that that's really fascinating. We also have other messages coming through, um, including from Luna, who says, well, what really encouraged me to work in STEM was I felt I was able to make palpable change to the world. Though many saw that softer subjects were more suited to me because of my empathy, um, I personally felt that this drove the creativity I needed as an engineer to create something worthwhile for people. It's a struggle, sometimes at work, with some of the men trying to mansplain things to me, but it's also so fulfilling when I see the creations in my brain manifest in the real world and make a real impact on people's lives. And, you know, this is something that we hear when it comes to to science quite a bit, this idea that it creates real impact, it drives real change. So, Luna, I mean, good on you for... Good on you for wanting to to do this and seeing an active way that you can forge, you know, a path forward. Meanwhile, we have Boyi who says, I'm working as an engineer because of my good academic results and uh, because of encouragement from my Asian parents and family. Boyi, I hear you. Um, I... I'm kind. I'm not surprised that that's the case. It's partly why I'm asking the question, actually, because I also had good results, but I didn't necessarily get pushed into furthering my studies in science in school. So I was in the science stream, and I think that perhaps I could have been interested in it. I mean, my love, my love for stuff was always in reading and language and more creative work. But I think that a lot of it also came down to me, at least in secondary school, with the teachers. Uh, I wasn't taught by particularly inspiring or even understandable physics and chemistry teachers. And I've always regretted that, partly because the a lack of an understanding of physics makes me feel sometimes like I'm missing a an extra element to my vision or my, my perception of the world. And I kind of wish I could do that. Maybe I'll do what Kevin did and go back to school at some point. Maybe that's the answer here. Uh, keep those thoughts coming. We are asking you... It's two questions. Uh, firstly... Do you work in STEM? And if you do, what encouraged you to take this path? What was the the driving force that meant you were going to do this? Uh, On the flip side, did you always know that you weren't going to? Did you never have an interest in it? Um, And 
what drove that? You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio, BFM 89.9. Bright, formidable media. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6.49 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and our talkback today is really about STEM. Um, What drove you towards STEM, if that's the industry that you work in? And conversely, if you were never interested in it, why do you think that is? Um, You know, is it just that you were not for it? Is it that you were not good at the subject? Is it that your teachers weren't that great? I don't know. I'm just curious. And I'd love to hear from you. You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So this is in relation to the fact that in terms of gender parity, which is how we started the show, Malaysia's actually done pretty well in terms of the participation of girls and women in STEM. So just an, an interesting kind of perspective there. Uh, Boyi earlier said that he's working as an engineer because he did well at school, good academic results, and because Asian parents' family pushed him towards it. Uh, Boyi has come back to add, saying, my neighbor's parents <laughs> also pushed me. This is what they mean, Boyi, when they say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to push a child towards engineering, apparently. Um, he also says, hi, yeah, I actually wanted to be involved in economics. Well, I would go back to that message that we heard earlier from Kevin, who initially did music and eventually went back to school for engineering, which is to say it's never really too late, uh, depending on depending on the parts or how much time you can carve out for school. Uh, meanwhile, Jung says, with my education background um, being non-STEM related, I work in STEM, it expanded my horizons and I contribute and relate with the STEM world with an art perspective. Um, and I think that I humanize STEM, which I think is actually really nice. And again, speaks to that, speaks to that combination of things and the fact that that divide is maybe not as strong uh, or not as, I don't know, not not as divisive as we would think. Uh, Jung also says the work in STEM was actually an accident, which which I really like. Uh, meanwhile, Munif says in my field it's a bit complicated. Uh, huge parts of architecture do involve STEM, but it's also undeniably artistic. In the USA, at least, it has been officially declared as STEM by Congress back in 2018. Either ways, I hate it. <laughs> wish I was drawing comics for a living instead. Um, Munif, yeah, I agree. I think that um, architecture is one of those disciplines in which there is very much that large overlap in terms of in terms of science and engineering and an understanding of things, along with, of course, design. Um, but I, you've written in before like quite a number of times talking about architecture and how it can be tough. I, I'd love to know whether it was something you always wanted to do or whether it was something that you ended up doing because your results were good. Um, yeah. And and when it was that you hit this point of hatred. Um, Anonymous says, Hi, out of curiosity, is a town planner working in a property developer considered STEM? That's a good question. I'm, I'm going to look it up uh, during, well, we've got a song coming up, so I'll look it up then. I think that it's it's an interesting one. It seems to overlap quite a bit with um, with Munif's point, to my mind at least, architecture, town planning, because it does require a fair amount of math, put simply, uh, a fair amount of engineering, but it's also not entirely unartistic or not entirely without design. Um, Ellie says... I'm part of the wider education ecosystem focused on promoting an increase in students' interest and competence in STEM. I think that STEM learning is critical in the development of higher order thinking skills among students, as this includes various aspects such as abstract thinking, inductive thinking, empathy, etc., which are important to the formation of a fully formed character that can contribute to society. I'm in this line of work because as a former teacher, I realise that there is a huge gap in resources between students of certain demographics, Uh, such as, you know, not all have access to quality STEM education. Hence, I believe it's super important for me to put my skills and experience to work in addressing this issue and ensuring equal opportunities for all students in this respect. Ellie, thanks so much um, for sending that message. And that sounds really inspiring. We're actually going to be talking about that after the 7 o'clock news, a closer look at 
what's going on in schools, particularly your point about how there are gaps in resources between students of demographics uh, and also, I think, between the distribution of students around the country and where it is you might live. Um, and, and hopefully some of these points get raised. Uh, we have Cheryl saying, My wife has six siblings, all female. One qualified actuary, one doctor, four engineers, one with a PhD. So all STEM, no art, 480s baby, 290s baby. Cheryl, thanks so much for uh, that statistic, <laughs> that, that data set contributing to what we were saying earlier, which is that, yeah, at least in Malaysia, we really, really are doing pretty well on this front. Um, like with everyone else, if you would like to get back in touch, do you know what it was that made that that drove this interest and drove the um, drove your wife's siblings towards the sciences? Was it again natural interest? Was it coming from? Was it having that kind of family legacy of being in the sciences? I'm just super curious because I think that that is really quite the family. Uh, Shah says, we were told that if you go science stream, you can do commerce later if you want. Vice versa is harder. I've heard this. I think that um, a lot of science stream students absolutely get told this. I also think it's a little bit damaging in some ways because as we're seeing from as we're seeing from the messages, sometimes things get locked in and then it becomes harder for you to make a shift in general, especially if you include things like family expectations and the like. But you're right. I, I absolutely think that that's something that a lot of people say. Keep those thoughts coming. Uh, we are asking you, it's a mix of questions. If you work in STEM, what encouraged you to to take this path? What What encouraged your interest? And on the flip side, if you were never interested in it, why do you think that is? Uh, you can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Burning for more. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 7.08 and before we move on to our next guest, a quick look back at the messages that we've been getting on today's show, which is a focus on STEM and what drives people to, to participate in the field, whether in terms of academics or whether it it's in terms of going on to work in the field and why it is that women and girls are doing particularly well in this area. Uh, we're doing better than a fair amount of our neighbours. We're doing better than the global statistics on this. So we're asking you, do you work in STEM? And if you do, what encouraged you to take this path? And on the flip side of that, if you were never interested in it, if you never felt called uh, to, to study it or work in it, why? Why do you think? Uh, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet at BFM Radio. So quickly, some messages before we move on. We have Meezy who says, I agree with Kevin. Uh, Kevin, by the way, was an earlier listener who wrote in who was previously working in music and then ev eventually went back to school for electrical and electronic engineering. So Misi says, I agree with Kevin that science is in everything. Cookery, sewing, all involve science. In fact, back in the 70s, the subject was called home science uh, and the scope included a bit of first aid, home chores like polishing silver and brasswares. Apart from actual cooking and sewing, the exams also had a theory section which tested one on simple chemistry and physics aspects. In fact, I think it was sidelined by the MOE's policy to go for bookkeeping and the more glamorous, strictly science subjects of physics, chem, bio and maths. I think we turned out more well-rounded and flexible when we actually joined the workforce. Yeah, Mizi, that is not the Kamahiran Hidup that I remember learning. I, I think that, that it definitely did not encompass so many elements, um, especially across STEM, but that sounds like a pretty well-rounded subject and also an interesting way, I think, to introduce elements of it without it necessarily being an entire heart science unit. Uh, meanwhile, Cameroon says, software application, AI and such are STEM, but we need accountants, um, people in finance, people in business, um, people's brains to build the expertise in the system. If you let the software engineer build the system you need on their own, it will never be usable. We need one another. Uh, and that speaks to that, that combination and that melding, really, of arts and sciences that's been the theme of our show in some ways. Meanwhile, Faisal says, 
I'm working in STEM as an engineer, going 16 years now. STEM is important for the country to be competitive. More innovation is needed, especially when natural resources are depleting. What propels me to still contribute in this field as I, is I solve complex problems by way of simplifying it. And Faisal, that sounds so fascinating and like such a... and. and and like such an interesting way to stay passionate about your your chosen field. We also have some messages, though, from people who have chosen not to do this. So, uh, for example, JM says, though I always felt I was more inclined towards the sciences growing up, academically speaking, I did quite well. I always felt a cold objectivity from the subject, which disincentivized me from pursuing it. In school, the sciences didn't include a human element, unlike other subjects. It was always about making money or making your parents proud, never about how much joy it could bring. I wanted to do things for me and my self-realization, but no, nobody ever promoted that when teaching me science or maths or whatever. Albeit, I do struggle financially right now as a graduate of the liberal arts and looking at more YouTube videos on science like the ones from Vsauce has ignited my passions in it again. I wish I had better teachers sometimes. And there's a, I think there's a lot in that message, JM, that I, I agree with or, or that I find relatable, particularly the point about school and the point about teachers. And that is something that we're going to be exploring in our next segment in which we look at Malaysian schools and how we're doing on that front. Um, keep those thoughts coming though. If you work in STEM, what encouraged you to take this path? What keeps you going? And on the flip side, if you were never really that interested in it, why do you think that is? Is it just a, you know, just something that you were naturally not inclined towards? Was it because school pushed you in a certain direction? Let us know. That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we're going to be joined by Felicia Yun, co-founder of Arus Academy. Keep it here on Inside Story BFM eighty nine point nine. Beyond frivolous mishmash, BFM eighty nine point nine. It is just about 7.14 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn. And we're closing off our segment today on how Malaysia's done pretty well in terms of parity for women and girls in STEM. Um, we have, however, been talking more broadly throughout the last hour and a bit about STEM participation and what drove you towards it or didn't. Uh, again, that number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send a voice note to 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Speaking with us now on how Malaysian schools are doing is Felicia Yun, co-founder of Iris Academy. Felicia, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. Thank you. So according to research, uh, while gender imbalance in STEM seems like a global issue, Malaysia does appear to be an exception. Does this reflect your observations? Hmm. So I think from our experience at Arus Academy, we have been running coding competition and also sending our students for coding competition for upper primary up to secondary school level. We do see that actually girls' participation and boys' participation for these competitions are actually quite balanced. In fact, out of 20 national level winners, we see actually exactly 50% um, girls and 50% were boys. So I think when it comes to this issue, perhaps it is a little bit more prominent when it comes to higher management in, I guess, what I like to actually call it more the STEAM field, right? So there's an A mm. in it as well uh, in Malaysia. I think in that area of upper level management, we still struggle to have enough female representation. Uh, but looking at the bright side, there are now a lot more female leaders in that industry uh, that are actually giving and encouraging our younger girls to pursue STEM and sort of stay long enough in the STEM field to truly advance that career. Yeah. So if we look at the Malaysian landscape then, what I know this sounds like a slightly insulting question, but but what are we doing right? What what are we doing correctly? I think there is a couple of things. I think firstly is the introduction of these new subjects. So I'm not sure if everyone is aware, but 
about five years ago, our national syllabus have been updated for two subjects to replace the previously Kemahiran Hiddo uh, subject. So the two new subjects were Asa Science Computer and Reka Bentuk Technology. Now students basically choose either one of these subjects. And this subject really allows students to explore STEM in the classroom. ASK, as the name suggests, obviously is the basic of computer science. So definitely students are allowed to really explore their interests in that area. But even RBT itself, right, where majority of the students currently take as a subject in Form 1 to Form 3, it has a lot of elements of project making in coding and programming. So with that, students are able to be a little bit more rounded in the sense of like even learning how to work collaboratively and create a project that sort of solves a problem in their daily life. And I think recently there has been a lot of innovation competition as well, encouraging students to really explore problem solving by applying STEM or STEAM skill. There has been a lot of awareness program as well by giant tech companies to encourage women in STEM. And I think one thing that we are definitely doing right is our consistency to have girls only program. Now it might sound a little bit biased, why girls only, right? But it is important because when we have such program, we can truly close the gender gap. Uh, girls are able to feel comfortable to explore. And during the pandemic, MDEC, in fact, actually, uh, one of the government agencies started a My Girls Can initiative. Uh, and that initiative really encourage girls to say that I can, I can also be in STEM, I can do coding and programming. And we at Arus, we have continued doing our Girls Maker Club for six years now and also counting. And the main goal really is to create that safe space and bring awareness in terms of uh, girls or women in STEM. So globally, part of the reason for why there, there is still an imbalance appears to some people have put it down to a lack of interest from girls in sciences in the first place. And I think the, the other kind of element that I'd like to talk about here is that traditionally there's been a perception that women excel in, you know, humanities, languages, soft mm. skills, while men do better in science and technical subjects. We, we've we heard about this a lot. It's that also a left brain, right brain argument. Anyway, um, how do these two things intersect? Are girls really less interested in science or is it more complicated than that? I, I think I would incline to say no, right? Because I want to encourage girls to be in this field. But I think stereotypes or sort of like all this saying, they happen because I think some people do believe it's true. However, there hasn't actually been enough study to prove that the... Um, men are sort of like they have more skills when it comes to this certain subject or women is sort of more inclined sort of the left brain right brain kind of uh, theory right in fact if we look into history women leaders have made significant contribution in science um, you look at Ada Lovelace one of the very first programmer in the world she's a woman um, although how her stories has been depicted maybe is a little bit different uh, but one I think admirable trait about women right or these women that are in the STEM field is that they persistent to pursue things that interest them and this is definitely re reflected in many global role models such as Marie Curie or our very own Malaysian role models such as Dr. Shahida they would be very persistent in terms of chasing after their passion, no matter what society sort of depict or this area to be, right? They will not sort of listen to what other people may be talking about them, but really focusing on pursuing what interests them. So I think if we really look at it, most of the culprit in terms of perpetuating what is being said is really our own inner voice or sort of society telling us that there is this imbalance that is happening. But whether it is actually been proven or not, there is actually not enough evidence to actually say so. Yeah. So let's look at the different elements of STEM, science, hmm. technology, engineering and mathematics. Which of these areas uh, struggle the most with gender diversity or parity and why do you think those areas in particular? I think for now, probably still probably leaning towards certain kinds of engineering and maybe certain kind of uh, tech area as well. I think in most of the sciences, um, there are more girls that are going into that area. Um, perhaps when it comes to certain kind of engineering, there may be not as many um, women represented in that area. 
And a lot of this boils down to not really understand what it is. So oftentimes when we choose what we want to study, we look at it more as assumption as well, assuming what the role is or assuming what we are going to study. And with that, sort of we make that decision. So I think the key here is allowing students to have the opportunity to actually explore all these different areas at a younger age so that they do not make decisions based on what their assumptions are in this field. Even providing them opportunity to intern at a much younger age will allow them to really understand what that career is or what kind of work entails being in this field. Because I think a lot of times if if the if the girls or the women they don't choose to be in certain careers, probably because they don't quite understand or they don't quite know actually what is in that particular field. Yeah. Could I ask you to expand on what some of those assumptions are? Uh, I mean, I think we've been circling it, but what, what are some mm-hmm. of the assumptions that you've heard about careers in STEM? I think when I when I talk to my students, they, they have that typical assumption that, for example, mechanical engineering, right? They think it's because it's working with machinery, they will assume it's more suitable for guys. But if you really think about it, right, you see machines around you every day, right? What stops a woman from opening up something and exploring what's inside and fixing things that are around us, right? But it's just that there is this sort of stereotypical idea that like, okay, if it's machine, um, gets, get a man to help you. But it doesn't have to be that case. In fact, back then, we were a lot more easily to want to open things up. Nowadays, we're a bit scared to open things up. But um, one of my sort of engineering friends used to tell me, if if it's already spoiled, why are you so scared to spoil it? <laughs> it cannot be even more spoiled, right? Because dah rosak. Mana boleh rosak lagi? So we, we always have this fear of like not wanting to try. Um, and I think that's that is sort of the, the reason behind it. Lah. The other thing is uh, the fact that schools and students in urban areas have a decent, I think, a wide access to quality STEM education and the required tools for it. But what about students in rural areas? Is enough being done to promote and sustain STEM education there? Hmm. I think definitely more effort can be done. For us, uh, what we did last year, we actually piloted um, so we have this initiative that is called Future Skill for All. As the name suggests, we would want to make sure that coding and programming skills are available to everyone because the name is for all, right? Uh, so what we did last year was actually we piloted an offline kit. Now, my, my team at Arus, many of us love board games. So essentially, this offline kit is like a card game where we brought to actually indigenous students studying in rural areas in Perak, Sabah, and Sarawak. And we teach students coding and programming concept through card and through this whole board game. Now, when you think about coding and programming, a lot of times people think, okay, you need a computer because essentially coding is writing instruction on the computer. But the skills behind that, right, is actually how do you structure instruction in such a way that the computer can execute what you want. So really it's about breaking down instruction into small parts and solving problem in that way. And this kind of concept, you don't necessarily need a computer or internet to teach it to the students. And that's what exactly we did with the card game, right? We allow students to actually learn even syntax of programming just by playing cards. Of course, by playing cards, they may not necessarily be able to jump on straight away on a computer and translate the skill immediately. Uh, But we also created many lessons where students can access using even just their phones, which many of them have in rural area. And all these videos that we created uh, are mapped to the RBT syllabus. But at the same time, we also include sign language. So sign language recently, we incorporated it so that the deaf uh, students are able to also follow and make projects along with the video. Uh, and this year, we are actually expanding our efforts to more special need uh, schools, especially the deaf community in Malaysia, as well as the rural areas in Sarawak. So there's definitely more that can be done. And we truly want to make sure that it is a skill for all. Everyone have access to it. So we definitely welcome like-minded partners to talk to us uh, for more collaboration or even just for us to understand a little bit what it takes to reach out to to more people and be a bit more inclusivity when we talk about uh, coding and programming. Yeah. You spoke about this a little bit earlier. Um, hmm. 
but I think it would be nice to round up and conclude the interview on it as well. So you mentioned girls only programs, programs that mm. exist in order to encourage participation. What else can be done to actively encourage girls to take up STEM subjects at a uh, at a secondary level and following that to continue being able to push it forward into their careers? I think the key here is really allow students to explore at a young age, as early as possible, to really develop interest in that subject. I think like that, that old saying, right? Tak kena maka tak cinta. So if the students don't, don't see what the subject really is, they wouldn't be able to be interested in it and want to pursue it. STEM subjects actually are very, very practical subject. And it is so important for students to see how this knowledge, right, are so visible or applicable in our daily lives and how all this knowledge in STEM world can actually be used to make our world a better place. So, for example, in our GEMS or sort of Girls Maker Club program, we allow students to learn coding and programming in a fun way, but also the important part is showing them that all these skills and knowledge can be used to make your life better. At that young age, right, things that they think about are very simple. I used to have this girl, right, she was presenting her idea to me and her problem was simple. Every day she come back from school, her mom would ask her to sweep the, the, the lawn. And she's like thinking, I don't want to do that. I'm tired from school every day. So she made a robot. She made a robot that can detect the rubbish and sweep the lawn for her. And that made her really interested in learning more about coding and programming and science and technology and mathematics because she can see how all this knowledge and skills are able to really make her life better or even the community around her better as she grows up as well. So, so that's that's a key, right? Really showing or allowing students to explore so that they realize that these subjects are actually important subjects in their life and is so intertwined with their life. I always like to allow my students to see science and mathematics or even technology as subject that was created for us to truly understand the world. Like science is created or mathematics is created so that we can understand how the world really function. Gravity, right? Gravity, the concept came about for us to understand how come things can fall or how come we, we don't just float up into the air, right? So these are not just subjects in the textbook or subject taught in school, but really it's knowledge that is so relevant to how we live our lives and it can definitely be used in our daily lives. So it's getting students to get to that realization uh, because then it becomes very natural that they want to pursue um, a deeper career in that area. Yeah. Felicia, thanks so much for speaking with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. That was Felicia Yun, co-founder of Aris Academy, talking about um, what's happening in our schools when it comes to STEM, particularly for girls. And, you know, there was a message that came in that relates directly to that final story from Felicia, which is Chia, um, who said, I'm lazy. I hate doing repetitive work. I write programs or build robots to do those jobs so I don't have to, which I now see in the context of the um, the, the sweeping robot. And I think that that's a great way, again, uh, to get people People involved. It's so relatable, right? It's a very direct thing, a direct impact to one's life. Uh, meanwhile, Cheryl, who wrote in earlier, uh, mentioning a a seven a seven sibling family all of whom are women and professionals and mostly in STEM. Um, so Cheryl's back to say Dad is a general clerk. Mum studied engineering part-time after having five girls. Uh, looking at them, I believe the dad could have made it if presented with the opportunity 60 years ago. It must have run in their genes. Hardship is probably the main motivator. Putting me into the equation, this family actually lacks male participation in STEM now, which is apparently representative of Malaysia as a whole. And that is our insight story tonight, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.